Proverbs 20.24, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Father, we submit ourselves to you this morning. We come to you, Lord, with ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to our church fellowship. And asking that you would, Lord, sensitize us to the truth. For those who need fine-tuning in hearing your Spirit, may the fine-tuning take place this morning. Father, some need the radios turned on. Uh, Some need to hear you for the first time. But Father, I just ask that your Spirit would meet us where we are. Holy Spirit, would you teach us today? And guide us through this proverb in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no lack of road songs in popular music. Willie Nelson just couldn't wait to get on the road again. Jackson Brown was running on empty. I think those two guys needed to get together. The Doobie Brothers were rocking down the highway. And Tom Cochran, later made popular also by Rascal Flatts, told us life is a highway. Life is a highway. They may be on to something. The Bible has a lot to say about life as a highway. In fact, over 200 times in Scripture, life is compared to a road, a path, a highway. And in the book of Proverbs, nearly 80 times, life as a path. In fact, the word direct, it's the word for way in the verse before us. How then can man understand his way? The word is direct, Hebrew. And it means way, road, path, or journey. The highway of life. Life is a highway. So, there are many popular road songs. There are also some popular road proverbs, I would call them. And among the more popular ones are these. Back in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. If you want to flip back there. Proverbs 3, 5. We're told, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways... Acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Or how about this one, Proverbs 4.18. I like this one. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Or how about Proverbs 16, verse 9. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And it's in that same vein, I believe, on that same path that that Solomon is writing over in Proverbs chapter 20. That's life. Life is a highway. And if you think about it, it's not so much marked by hairpin turns as it is by tiny little adjustments. It's not great leaps and bounds so much as it is Individual steps, minute choices that we make. See, that's where wisdom is found. Not in the huge events, but in the daily choices that we make. The slight adjustments. It's like teaching kids how to drive. I'm one for two. I have a son, 21, who's not driving yet, doesn't have any interest in driving yet, and that's saving me money on insurance, so I'm like, good for you. Public transportation, God bless him. And I have a daughter who does drive, and I'll tell you what, I I need the break in between Hannah and Hayden, who's coming up next. I need the break. Because when you're teaching kids how to drive, parents, you may remember this, you get behind the you get them behind the wheel and you're in the passenger seat with no control, no brakes, nothing that you can do, and you have to keep them on the highway. And kids, especially as they grow up, they don't understand the concept of minute adjustments. You know, as you drive along, you're always turning the steering wheel. It's always moving. It never stops. Well, I told that to my daughter. First time out on the road, we're just going like this. Stop, stop. Well, you said we're always moving the steering wheel. Not like that. And anyone who drives that way is crazy. Anyone heading down the road of, of life, the highway of life, who's swerving back and forth trying to get the car straightened out, that's not how it works. It's little adjustments. Fine-tuning along the way. It's individual, independent, singular choices that we make. Now we're more into the big event. Well, I gave my life to Jesus. Okay, big event. But the Lord is more into the minute fine-tuning along the way. 
the day-to-day choices. That's what I believe we get into with this proverb. It's far more about the minute than it is the grandiose. But this proverb is a curious one. We blew right past it on uh, Wednesday night, kind of got into the fast lane, and we covered several other proverbs in chapter 20. But as I was going back over this and reading through, I kept hitting verse 24, and it just wasn't sitting right. There's something about this verse that doesn't read right for me. And I considered it, and I went away from it, and I came back to it several times. I, I told the worship team Thursday night, because I typically do my, the bulk of my studying on Thursday. I spent all day Thursday studying this out. And at the end of the day, maybe had half of the notes that, that would have been necessary. It didn't have any landing. It was frustrating. Usually when I study, God will open up a, a passage or a scripture, and, and I know within you know half hour, so I know exactly where we're going. And, and the Lord just kind of downloads all at once, and I love that. Sometimes, as with this, it, he, he waited. Even this morning I woke up with some more insight. Even sitting here behind the piano praying, Tom said something, and I went, oh, oh, oh. So I'm going to try and share this with you. But this one really stood out. It asks a curious question. Listen again, verse 24. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Hmm. Solomon, what are you driving at here? What are you you saying? I, I believe the answer lies in every rotation of our wheels. Every turn of the wheel matters. See, we rub up the cars and take off and the RPMs spin up to 3,000, 5,000, 6,000. We're not thinking about it so much. But every one of those RPMs matters. Every choice, every decision, every minute step that we take. That's what God is interested in. Let me see if I can explain this a little bit. In, In terms of life as a highway, RPM number one, decision. The first RPM is decision. Solomon says man's steps are ordained by the Lord. The word ordained is not there in the original Hebrew. Anytime the word's italicized, you know, you Bible students, that it's, it's not in the original language. The translators put it there to give a sense of meaning of the words around it, to give a, a flow to the sentence. But most of the time, I just like to drop the italicized word completely and see how it sounds. Man's steps are by the Lord. Man's steps are by the Lord. What does that mean? Very simply, your journey began by God's decision. He wanted you here. Now, as simple as that sounds, stop for a moment and understand. Every one of us need to know this. We are here by God's choice. You exist because God chose for you to have life. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. How's that for a poor self-image? There's a little boost for you. It wasn't anybody's decision. It was God's decision for you to be here. You're here because He wanted you to be. You would not exist otherwise. I would not exist otherwise. And when we get into the dumps, and when we get into those places in our lives where we just think we're worthless, or valueless, or nobody loves us, or we don't really belong, or we have no purpose here, you got to stop and go right back to the very first decision that God made for you to exist. Because if He hadn't made that decision, you would not exist. You are here by His decision. Before the car even started, God said, yeah, I want him here. I'd like her to be here. You're here by his choice. But David knew this. We read this in Psalm 139. You formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. And Solomon says, man's steps are by the Lord. The very first step I took was because He chose for me to take it. I'm here because of Him. You know... The entire pro-abortion versus pro-life debate would be over if we understood that. There would be no debate. 
You exist because God chose for you to exist. What about in the case of rape and incest? That's a tough one. That's the one that is always raised, by the way. Anytime you get into a debate with someone who is pro-abortion versus pro-life, the rape-incest thing comes up. And by the way, 0.5% of rape and incest results in pregnancy. 0.5. But let me say something, and some of you may disagree with me on this. It's okay. As I've said before, you can be wrong and we can still have fellowship. (laughs) If every single person here is here by God's decision, then even in the case of rape and incest, existence is the choice of God. Not the sin. Not the rape. Not the incest. But the existence. God's choice. Decision. God made this decision. God set us on the highway in the beginning. But you know what? Things went wrong, and they went wrong fast. Second RPM, detour. By a series of missed exits or bad decisions or or, or wrong directions or rebellious choices, we all got lost. Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And let's be clear about this. If you're talking to a friend who does not know Jesus, they are lost. It's the big L word. How dare you call me lost? Because you are. Because I was. This is what it means to be lost. It means not knowing where to go. You know, it's not a slam by insiders of the Christian club against outsiders who are not in the little club with us. It's not our way of of looking down on somebody who's, oh, you're lost. You're not found. Even being found is not something that we did. It's something He did. And we've all been lost. We all desperately needed the finding of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 14.12 says there's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And if you've ever gotten lost, first time I moved up to Washington, boy, I just hated it, living in Federal Way. I, I loved Washington State. I hated the streets because if you're down in the Seattle area especially, it is so easy to get lost. You know, someone would say you take 512 Southeast to, uh, to 619 Northeast, and then you're going to take that to 59 South. And 59 South is going to turn into 59 West. And once you go on 59 West, then you're going to head on, on 17 Northwest, which turns into 17 Southwest, but then you're going, to dead, you're, going to, you're going to run right into 67 East. You're going to go east, and then you're going to come... And, and you know, streets would go, and then they'd stop, and then they'd start with a totally different name. I got lost constantly. This was back when I was a young youth pastor. I was lost all the time, whether I was driving or not. I was lost. I didn't know where I was, where I was going, what I was doing. And that's the definition of being lost, is not knowing where to go. And even the best intentions can lead us down a dead-end street. You been there? You know, maybe you've just been disillusioned like Jackson Brown was. A song I mentioned before, Running on Empty. Do you know he wrote that as an anthem to the disillusionment of the 60s? Having lived through the 60s himself, there was so much hope, so much promise in the flower child movement of just freedom and and whatever, and peace, and it was all just going to be good. And Jackson Brown wrote in the song, Running on Empty, in 69 I was 21 and I called the road my own. I don't know when that road turned on to the road I'm on. Running on empty, running blind, running into the sun... But I'm running behind. He says, everyone I know, everywhere I go, people need some reason to believe. I don't know about anybody but me. He says, I look around for the friends that I used to turn to, to pull me through, and looking into their eyes, I see them running too. Running on empty. 60s didn't work. All that freedom and peace and love with no Jesus did not work. Detour. Maybe you haven't been disillusioned. Maybe you've just been given bad directions. Like the Polish man. I found this on weirdnewsfiles.com, which is a fun place to go. Man drives bus into lake using GPS instructions. (laughs) 
check this out. A Polish man drove his vehicle into a lake after following the instructions of a satellite navigation system, police have said. The Mercedes minivan driver ignored a series of warning signs before using an abandoned road which led to the lake. His vehicle was almost entirely submerged by the time emergency services arrived on the scene, but the man and his two passengers had already escaped unharmed. They sat on the vehicle's roof as they waited for assistance. The man took a road that was closed a year ago when the area was flooded to make an artificial lake serving as a water reservoir. He ignored three road signs warning of a dead end, a policeman spoke in southern Poland, uh, he told the AP. It was still nighttime, he didn't, and he didn't notice that the road led into a lake. His GPS told him to drive straight ahead, and he did. Let me just encourage you, if you're using GPS in your car, that occasionally you want to check the road in front of you. You know, occasionally it's a good idea just to look up. Why did this guy drive into the lake? I'll tell you why. Because he was a man. We don't ask directions. We just go where we're told to go. Well, honey, you should stop at the gas station. No, no, this is the way they said to go. And into the lake we drive. Even with the best worldly wisdom and technology, we don't understand our way. We get lost. We get lost. And that's what it means. But the frightening thing about being lost is if I'm lost on this highway, I'm in serious danger of being lost for all eternity. You know, we can laugh about being lost because we all get lost in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, it is a horrifying thought. No human compass, no technological GPS or navigational system made by man can get me there. It simply can't. I need some direction. How then can man understand his way? Now Solomon asks this question with the intent of a negative answer. It's the way it's written, the Hebrew construction. How then can man understand his way? He can't. He can't. Jeremiah knew this. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And he could relate to the dilemma that Solomon is presenting here in the proverb. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, he says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, Lord, but with justice, not with your anger, or you will bring me to nothing. And so, by God's decision, we're here, but we got detoured, and what we need is, number three, RPM number three, direction. Direction. Why are... There you go! (laughs) Why are so many born-again people, why are they still tending to wander? Have you asked a question in your own life? I gave my life to Jesus, and I still get lost. I still wander off. I still don't seem to be able to stay on path. Why is that? It's like we've missed something. Have you ever found yourself just kind of wandering aimlessly through life? Kind of forgetting Jesus. Every RPM matters. Every step is directional. It could be a tiny step. But if the tiny, I mean, you know, driving down the road, if you turn the wheel slightly and don't straighten it out, Don't re-correct. Just turn it slightly. Eventually, you will go off the road. And in the little decisions we make, without even thinking about it, we make tiny tunings, and we mistune. Until suddenly we find ourselves lost, wandering. And and again, what what I'm interested in here is, it's the believer who wanders off. Solomon is saying, how? How can man understand his way? Solomon. That was David. He knows the Lord. He built the temple. And Solomon's asking, how do we know, Lord? How, how do we... Listen, the straightness of my life, the straightness depends on following His directions. Following His directions. Now this may be basic, but stay with me here for a minute. Here's the issue. We have never been this way before. We've never been this way before. Every day presents new scenes. Every day presents new challenges or experiences that we have to navigate. Well, Rick, what about history? Hey, I know history is there to teach us if we'll listen to it. Usually we don't. Or if we don't rewrite it as many try to do, 
What about history? Hey, for all the experiences of man, we can look across history, but here's the deal. Only one has gone there and back again, and that's Jesus. Only one really knows the way. Only one has been all the way. The rest of us have not. At least, and have come back to talk about it. The children of Israel understood this. Keep your finger there and go back to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 3. Children of Israel finally stood on the shores of the Jordan. Two years had been spent traveling from Egypt to the Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments, experiencing God there in amazing ways, and that's all it would have been, but for their rebellion at Kadesh, and so they spent 38 more years, a total of 40 years, wandering, traveling, sojourning in the wilderness. But now, they're at the Jordan River. And they're right up against it. Watch what happens. Joshua arose early in the morning. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. And he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. I like that. Go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits. That would be about a half mile by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go. For, watch this, you have not passed this way before. And they hadn't. None of the children of Israel had ever been there before. It had been 400 years since their ancestor Abraham had walked that area. They hadn't been there. They didn't know. 400 years since Isaac and Jacob lived there and then went down to Egypt. None of them had walked this way before. And so the people were commanded, stay behind the ark. Follow the ark. Keep your eyes on the ark. Why? That they might know the way to go. For the Lord says, you have not passed this way before. Eyes on the ark. Bible students, what is the ark a picture of in the Hebrew Scriptures? Yeah, you can take a guess because it's the answer that you're thinking. It usually is, by the way. There's a reason why the Sunday school answer is Jesus. Because the answer is always Jesus. So anytime I ask a question here, if you say Jesus, chances are real good you're right. The ark portrays pictures Jesus. It was made of acacia wood. A portrait of Jesus' humanity. It was overlaid in pure gold, which portrays Jesus' divinity. It contained the law, which Christ held perfectly. It contained a jar of manna. Jesus is the bread of life. It contained Aaron's staff that budded, that God made bud, a dead stick that came back to life, a picture of resurrection. And there's so much there. On top of the ark sat the mercy seat. And God said, I will meet you there. Where? In the place of mercy, grace. Oh, the law came by Moses. Grace and truth came to us through Jesus Christ. The ark, and there's so much more I won't go into this morning where you can look at and study and consider the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle. We did that in our Exodus study. And it all portrays Jesus in a remarkable way. How can a man, Solomon asks, understand his way? Eyes on the Ark. Eyes on the Ark. And I'm not talking about from Sunday to Sunday. I'm not talking about from Wednesday to Sunday. I'm talking about every turn of the wheels, eyes on the ark. Every moment of every day, eyes on Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14. He says, you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord... We do not know the way where you are going. How do we know the way? Wait a minute, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that what Solomon said? How then can man understand his way? Now, Philip is turning around, or Thomas is turning around and saying, How then do we understand our way? How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus brings direction for every, every turn of the wheel. Every minute choice. That's why Christ is wisdom. Because every choice we make, He is the direction. 
here's the problem. We believe in Jesus in the big term. You know, in the big picture. I believe in Jesus. Sure. I'm involved in a church. Trying to teach my kids about Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But I fear that perhaps we've swallowed the lie that each and every personal, individual, singular step is no biggie. Doesn't really matter that much. What's the big deal if outside of the church experience, you know, I mean, this is understood, but what's the big deal if I don't do things that are entirely Jesus like? What if I make some decisions that are not, you know, exactly? I mean, I, I know Jesus wouldn't come with me to this movie. That's okay. He can stay home. I'll see him later. <laughs> I know Jesus might not deal in business the way I am today, but I have to. I, I, I need to do it this way. What if I don't follow the directions entirely? Does it really matter that much? I'm covered by grace, right? I'm saved by grace, so therefore, it's no biggie if I don't really follow all the directions, right? Let me remind you of a a handful of Proverbs to address this, just to give some sense to it. In fact, I'm going to limit these to the chapter that we are in, chapter 20, but I'll give you some context, okay? Who cares... If I had one too many last night, it's it's not that big a deal. You know, I didn't get flat out drunk. I was a little tipsy, but it's just one too many. Who really cares? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Hmm. Okay, so, so I tend to be an argumentative person. It's just my personality. It's just the way I am. Verse 3. Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. Hmm. You know, it doesn't really matter. I say to myself, where my eyes go on the internet when no one's looking, or what I do on a business trip or on deployment or away from those who know me, it doesn't really matter, does it? Verse 7. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. You know what walking in integrity is? It's doing what you would do, the right thing, whether someone's looking or not. It's consistent walking with Jesus, whether anyone's there who might know what's going on or not. Integrity. Hmm. So my business dealings aren't entirely fair. i got to make a living, right? Verse 10. Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are abominable to the Lord. Huh. All right. I I, I can accept those, but, you know, who cares if I share a little gossip every now and then over coffee? Who cares if I chat it up about people who aren't there? Verse 19. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. What's the point? The point is this. Each and every proverb in this book deals with a distinct decision. Every individual proverb is a separate step. Every one of them. Let me be honest with you. It's what I love and hate about the book of Proverbs. My spirit loves it. My flesh hates it. Because every time I turn around, there's another problem addressing another step in life. The Proverbs talk to everything. And just when I think I've gotten off from the last proverb, I hit the new one and go, man, every rotation of the wheel, God is speaking to. Every choice that I make, every decision, Lord, can't you cut me a break? This is not that big a deal. Oh, yes, it is. Fine adjusting. Just little course adjustments along the way. These are not the things that save you. Again, let's be absolutely clear, grace saves us. But the reason why grace-saved Christian people go off course is because we're not paying attention to the directions. Simple, clear, obvious directions in front of us. God's directions on the highway. They're precise, they're specific. I'm not talking legalism, I'm talking about holiness. Peter said, 1 Peter 1.15, Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. 
Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So why aren't we? Why aren't we holy? I've been at this for 46 years of my life, raised in church, going to church. I've heard all the sermons. Why am I not holy? Why do I still get off course? What's the problem? What is missing here? And why are successive generations missing it? Want to hear something disturbing? Solomon continues to say, how then can man understand his way? Here we are in 2011, and mankind is still missing it. And each generation coming after, there are some disturbing statistics out there. Barna Research Group recently interviewed 22,000 20 to 29 year olds. Jake, you're going to want to hear this. 19% of teenagers were never reached by the church at all and remain lost. Of, of these 22,000, 20 to 29 year olds. Okay, these, these people interviewed, 19% of them were never even reached by the church. Never invited, never called, never drawn into a youth group setting or anything. No idea. Clueless. 19%, that's pretty big. 20% of churched teenagers maintained their faith into adulthood. 20%. 61% of today's 20 to 29 year olds in this survey who were regular church goers are now spiritually disengaged. Now, that's not accounting for those who come back in their 30s or 40s, who come back around and, and you know, they, they sow the wild oats, I guess, get it out of the system, and then make their way back to Jesus. But 61% disengaged means they are not connected to a church fellowship, they're not into praying, and they're not reading Bibles at all. They have nothing to do with the spiritual walk. 61% of those surveyed. In other words, let's, let's put this in real terms for us to understand. For every five teenagers, one walks with Jesus, one never got on the path in the first place, and three walked off the road. We are losing four out of five, according to this survey. Answers in Genesis conducted a study of a thousand evangelical kids who left church in their 20s, and here are their results. 95% who left in their 20s 95% attended church regularly in elementary and middle school. They were Sunday school kids. Sunday school didn't get through. 40% of those who attended in elementary and middle school, 40% were gone by high school. Which is astounding to me. By college, another 39% had left, leaving just 6% of Sunday school kids still engaged in their 20s. (laughs) I read that and I thought, what are we paying Leslie for? Let's just forget the whole thing. (laughs) If she can't do better than... No. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's just unbelievable. What's the problem? This is what I've been asking. This is what I hear... Solomon asking, how then can man understand his way? Clearly we don't. Clearly something's missing. You know what I think part of the problem is? Generic Jesus. Generic Jesus is not enough. I'm not saying Jesus is not enough. I'm saying generic Jesus is not enough. He is all we will ever need. But the idea, the vague idea that's being kind of taught to kids, yeah, Jesus is good, love Jesus, and, and live your life and you're fine. And off they go. It's not enough. It's not connecting the message to the heart. When we hear verses like Hebrews 12.2, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Please hear me. It is not a one-shot tune-up. It's a daily drive. I almost burned out the engine of a, a Ford Windstar that we had several years ago. I just kind of forgot to do oil changes. <laughs> hey, I didn't drive it into a lake. Cut me some slack. <laughs> yeah, until one day we're driving along and it just starts going, <laughs> which I love. You know, you go into the mechanic and they go, what's wrong? Well, it's making a weird noise. What kind of noise? <laughs> Just making a noise. What kind of noise? 
Brian Regan talks about that. Then you're standing in the, in, you know, in the office area going, well, it's going, dang, dang, dang. <laughs> what? Hey, wait a minute. Sam, come in here. Can you do that one more time? So, so we can hear it. So making this noise. I find out I haven't been changing the oil. I almost burned that thing right up. It's not just these, these tune-ups. And that Christian life is not a tune-up. On occasion, and then you're off doing your own thing. And you come back, and gang, we do this even Sunday to Wednesday. I come for my Sunday tune-up, and I come for my Wednesday tune-up. Or some say, no, I come for my every Sunday. I come once a week for a tune-up. Every week, I'm there tuning up. Or others say, once a month is good, you know. I know it says 3,000 miles, but I can go six. Holidays. Those are nice time for a tune-up. You know, just kind of get squared away and back on track. It's this mentality, generic Jesus. And we don't understand the way. It is not enough to call on His name and call it good. Not if you want to walk the highway of life that He's called you to. Eyes on the ark. Israel, you have not walked this way before. Eyes on Jesus. Christians, you have not walked this way before. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're going to wake up tomorrow and something's going to happen. Do you know what it is? Well, I know I'm going to go to work and I've got a schedule. Yeah, that's your plans. But the Lord directs the steps. You don't know. And so we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And He said this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. Life is a highway, but it's a narrow one. It's a narrow road. Few find it. By the way, why, why, Lord? Why is the way so narrow? Why is it only through Jesus? Why can't the way be broad? I'll tell you what, because if there were 15 ways to get to God... You know what Satan would do? He would come up with 15,000 counterfeits. So God said, I'm going to give you one way. Let's just keep it simple. One way. There's no way you can miss it if there's only one way to get there. And what do we do? We miss it. It's astounding. The highway is a narrow one. How then can man understand his way? Again, the answer is he can't. He can't. He can't. Not the natural man. So I got to about that point in my study and put the Bible down and said, so so if I dial in every day and I follow every direction and I keep every proverb and I... Dot all my I's and cross all my T's and I make sure that every single... And then I went, that's legalism. So I closed the Word and I walked away from it. And I could not stop thinking about this. I really struggled with this morning's teaching. I really did. I almost set it aside and just did something else. There's a great one on drinking coming up. We'll have some fun with that. (laughs) Chapter 23, woohoo! Lots of verses, lots of fun. That's going to be a kick. I can skip ahead and do that, Lord. Verse 24, Rick. Okay. Every step from Thursday morning literally to this morning, every step, God has been bugging me with this verse. What's the deal? What's the deal? And finally God showed me something. And I, I think the answer is here. Listen again. Man's steps are by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? There are two men being talked about in this proverb. Two men. Two different men. Man number one, man's steps are by the Lord. It's the Hebrew word, geber. Geber, which means the strength of man. The strong man. A man who, who, who is able to walk who's firm on his feet. It's man as intended, with the authority that God gave him at the very beginning of creation. Subdue the earth. Rule over all creation. It's yours, Adam. It's yours, Eve. Geber, a strong man. 
And the strong man, his steps are by the Lord. And Solomon probably drew the first part of this from his father David. Because David wrote in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a man, the bear, are established by the Lord and he delights in his ways. It's man as he should be. Man as we were intended to be. Walking with the Lord in the cool of the day there in the garden. The bear. But upon consideration, Solomon speaks of another man. How then can man understand his way? The second man is earthbound. The second man, the word there, Adam. Adam, Adam. Geber is the strength of man. Adam is the state of man. We go immediately from mighty to minuscule. In one proverb, we go from the power of a God-ordained man to the puniness of the individual who's constantly getting lost. Why the distinction? You know, I, I wonder if in a moment of royal reflection, Solomon is sitting there, and he's thinking, man, the bear, man's steps are by the Lord. How then can man, Adam, understand his way? And I wonder, I can see Solomon sitting there on the throne, thinking out loud. Things are peaceful, everything's good, and he's thinking, I'm here because of God's mighty workings. I'm sitting on this throne. Through my father David, uh, through my forefathers, going all the way back, Joshua, and Moses, and Jacob, Abraham, those were Geber, strong men, followers of the Lord, but here I sit on the throne. And you know what? I can't tell anybody this, but I'm just a dom. I'm just... I'm the natural man. And I got questions. And I don't always understand what I wish I understood. We'll get into that in Ecclesiastes. Solomon's entire life was trying to find what was it that would show him the right way. His whole life. And in comparison, there are those strong... Maybe you've been there. You look around and you go, Oh, yeah, I see Gaber all over the place in this church. Yeah, yeah that guy, he, he's Gaber. He, he, he's, he's strong. He's strong in the Lord. He's walking with Jesus. Yeah. But I'm just a dom. I'm just the natural man. I'm just the natural woman. Some of you ladies, you look at other ladies and you say, Oh, if, if only I could have faith like she does. But I'm just me. and I, In the flesh here, I don't know. I, I, I don't have it. The steps of a strong man are by the Lord. How then am I, an earthbound Adam, an earthbound Eve? How am I supposed to understand my way? <clears throat> the answer is in the question. By the Lord. Only by the Lord can the earthbound man become the man of strength. Only by the Lord can the natural woman become the woman of God. Only by the Spirit. And this was the thing that was missing for me. I was looking for answers in here. And the Proverbs are great and they're direction for life. But you hand these directions to someone who does not have the Spirit of God and they will still get lost every single time. But to be filled with the Spirit. Well, now something's different. Now what would be legalism otherwise becomes joy. It becomes clarity. It becomes understanding. Jesus said, and this is why He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. You've got to have a spiritual birth. Without the spiritual birth, you will continue just to be Adam. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, For since by a man came death, by a man also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die. In Adam we're all lost. In the natural state, we can't make the way. But in Christ, all will be made alive. In Jesus, by His Spirit, the steps of man, Geber, are by the Lord. By the Lord. Have you found yourself in those places of weakness where your faith is is shaky or you're distressed and you realize how earthbound you really are because you're functioning in the natural. Like Solomon, mighty king of Israel, sitting on his throne, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? I am the way, Jesus says. 
Jesus said in John 6.63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. And you know, we see this very picture in the direction God gave the people of Israel. Boy, I could do another hour on this. I won't. But we see Israel crossing the Jordan River like a second baptism. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that they crossed through the Red Sea. They were all baptized, as it were as they passed through the Red Sea. Went through the Red Sea, and the sea opened before them, and in they went, and out they came the other side. And they were all baptized. They all saw that miraculous, amazing event. But then God brings them to the Jordan River, and there's another crossing. A second baptism. But this one's different. The waters don't part. They have to walk in first. The priests have to carry the ark and go into the... They get ankle deep in the water before then the water begins to recede, before it piles up upstream. The Red Sea, physical baptism, an outward expression of an inward change. The Jordan River, crossing over into a life of the Spirit. Now, Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people will do that. They get baptized and they come out of the water and go, all right, I'm good to go. And I believe in that case, everybody who has been water baptized does receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but there's more. There is more for us. Not a distinction between who's better or who's worse, don't get me wrong, but there's more. That you can, that I can have the Holy Spirit upon me as at Pentecost. I can be filled with the Spirit, given direction for life, spiritual direction that is far more. A spiritual baptism, not just the physical one, not just the outward expression, not just even the inward renewal. Once the renewal has happened, now you know what the Lord is saying to you, saying to me, I want to walk you through every turn of the wheel. And I I chuckled to myself because I realized that's exactly what God has done with me since Thursday. Every turn of the wheel. He would not give me the answer that I was looking for. He wouldn't let me sit settled and and close up the the finished product of a Sunday morning teaching and put it away. Wouldn't let me do it. And so I came back to it Thursday night and Friday morning I got up and I did some more studying, got a little, little further down the road. Friday night, Cheryl went to bed, I was back in my office studying some, and I don't normally do this, I really don't. Saturday morning, we went up to Bellingham, which, oh man, side note, wow. I had no idea, Brian. I had no idea. You all got to check this out. You need to take a Saturday and go up and see what's happening and be a part of our homeless ministry. It's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. Rory got baptized yesterday in the river right there, which was really cool. I'm pretty sure it was really cool, wasn't it? (laughs) Pretty cool, yeah. And it was a marvelous day. And this thing, the organization of it and the number of homeless people coming through, and it's not just about feeding and clothing, although that's astounding in and of itself, but the time spent by people there just ministering, sitting down with, talking to people who are people just like us. Things aren't going well. They've crashed off the side of the highway. we got a group of people who are stopping for every single one of these accidents. It's amazing. You need to go. But that being said, all day, yesterday, I'm thinking about this. I keep coming back to Proverbs 20, 24. Yesterday afternoon, I got home. I said, honey, can I, I have an hour on this? And she's like, yeah, you're crazy. I'm like, I know, I know. Just give me an hour. Went back to my office again. Last night, Cheryl went to bed, 11 o'clock. I was in my office till 1. I never do. I hate doing that on Saturday night. Because then Sunday morning, I'm like... <laughs> This morning I got up. I'm sitting there eating my breakfast. Oh, 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 yeah! I'm back again. What's going on here, Lord? Well, Rick, you're going to talk about every single turn of my wheel. You're going to talk about every rotation, walking in the Spirit. So let me give you a little personal example of what I'm talking about here. It's been amazing. I didn't even realize it. Tom said something this morning, and, and the, the final bell went off right before we started worship. And I went, oh, 
this lesson wasn't for the church, it was for me. So, you know, I hope it meant something to you, but I really don't care, it's for me. (laughs) This is my teaching. Every moment, every decision, every thought, walking with the Spirit. Lord, is this important to you? Lord, does this... Do you want me to have this conversation? Lord, just, just being in His presence, being aware of Him, thinking about Him all the time, not on stops, not at certain events along the way. Life is a highway. And every time that wheel turns, God is saying, here's somewhere I'd like you to go. Here's something I want you to see. Oh, pull off here. Oh, drive over here. Take a look at this. And we miss it when we're not listening. And I think that's what's going on here. I think Solomon is struggling, like everybody does, between wanting to be a man of strength, a godly man, and the realization of his natural man. And the only way, what Solomon didn't connect, the only way is by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 2, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. And there's some sarcasm in that. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is that what this is all about? Rick, that I have to keep every single proverb in the whole book? You can't. You won't. The Spirit of God producing holiness in you, you will start to see more and more as you walk by the Spirit that these Proverbs are being kept in your life. Why? Because you have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of Christ. Paul said in Galatians 5.16, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Isn't it interesting? Life is a highway, but the Bible never mentions cars. Walk. It's one step at a time. And in every step, listening to the Spirit. You can, you can try to navigate it by the natural man, the natural woman, Adam. But if you do, you will sit in the latter part of this proverb not understanding your way. And every time I don't understand what God's doing, it's because I'm striving in the flesh. The moment I give over to the Lord and listen in the Spirit, then suddenly my steps are by the Lord. Which leads ultimately to the final RPM. Number four, destination. The destination. Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude wrote in verse 21 of his little letter, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. You want to know how you are eager and anxious for the coming of Jesus? You walk by the Spirit. You walk by the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God always reminds us of Jesus. Always reminds us Jesus is coming. Always reminds us of that great destination. Again, Galatians 5.16, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit.